Today in the podcast, we're having a conversation about wisdom. As we navigate life and leadership, we probably all feel like we could use just a little bit more wisdom in our decisions. But where do you go and who do you turn to in order to find it? Most people have many specialists around them, solicitors, bankers, finance brokers, stockbrokers, health practitioners, accountants, insurance brokers. But who helps you oversee the work of all these specialist professionals? My guest is head coach of Design a Decade, Chris Freeman. And he told me that when it comes to creating a life by design, we're often using outdated wisdom, trying to plan our life around retirement at 65, which he says is the wrong number. Today, I give him a call to explore why and how we can get wisdom to create a life by design. Hello. Hi. We'll do it live. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. 10, 9, 8, 7. Six, five, four, three, two, one, liftoff. Joining me on the podcast is Chris, and he is an expert in how to design lifestyle and financial wealth in a decade. He loves to seek out and pass on knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, creating opportunities for everyday people like you and me to balance lifestyle and financial wealth in a trusted environment of personal and professional relationships. Chris's journey has taught him that we don't live long enough to make all the mistakes, recover from them, and then put that experience into setting up our future. So we need to find people to look to that have already walked that journey. It's a great privilege to have him on the podcast. Chris, welcome. Ah, what a pleasure, Shane, and uh, love the title. And uh, obviously uh, quite chuffed that you've actually included me in that title. <laughs> oh, no, I absolutely wanted to include you in, in this show because I, I know we crossed paths uh, maybe a couple of years, years ago. Someone introduced me to you while we were eating burgers for lunch and and I've been really grateful to kind of be in the, the outskirts, a little bit of your world, but very definitely um, keeping a close eye on what you're doing and, and mm. what you're up to. So to have this conversation is, is a really great opportunity. So thanks so much for joining me. Mm, my pleasure. I want to jump in with some fast facts and the fast facts I ask people are, where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do now? Mm. Well, I turned uh, over 70 years old a couple of months ago, so it's a bit of a story, so I'll keep it, <laughs> keep it short. Uh, but I was born in Sydney, Australia, um, home from hospital to a suburb called West Ride. But soon after that, my parents uh, bought a general store in a little beachside suburb called uh, Stanwell Park on the south coast of Sydney and uh, it was just that we were the only shop in the in the whole place and so uh, I had primary school there it was just over the back fence and uh, we were the but with the hardware store we were the lolly shop that was good I used <laughs> to work that one um, we were the sly grog shop we were the SP bookmaker sorry mum and dad Bit of everything <laughs> to be saying that here but yeah it was it was a great little place to um to be in primary school and then when I was ready for high school, parents moved back to uh, Manly in, in Sydney. So I went to Manly Boys High and uh, loved my sport and, and the beach and the like, so that was great. And when I left, uh, it was an interesting, interesting Shane, uh, I wanted to leave school and go and surf up the coast for a year or so and my mother was too clever for me. She said, okay, well, I've organised three job interviews for you. If you don't get any of the jobs, then you can go and have your year. And of course, 1970, you couldn't go to three job interviews and not, and not get the job. <laughs> and it wasn't stacking shelves at Bunnings or Woolies. It was uh, uh, 
Qantas Airways was one, Shell Petroleum, BP Petroleum. Anyway, I, I got the job at uh, Qantas Airways. And it was before computers and before international communication of, of what we have today. So if some you people to, are going to be listening to that, and, and, and a rule that will really shock them that there was a time that that existed. <laughs> absolutely. If you want to go on Qantas, you pick up the phone, and we answered it, and we wrote your name down and on a little card, and it went along a conveyor belt. And someone my down, biggest nightmare right now is calling Qantas and waiting <laughs> on hold for six hours. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So. I did a two-year traineeship, three months in eight different departments, and then lobbed into a department called uh, Reservation Seating Control. And so we they were there to maintain high revenue on the flights instead of all the holidaymakers going to Fiji and an empty plane going to London. It was spread out over the top. And uh, had that situation with no international communication of any great sorts. So we did a lot of bookings for the other airlines as well. And they wanted to keep us happy, so they gave us free tickets. And so Friday afternoon, it was, well, we go home today or we go to Fiji for the weekend. And As a first job, so considering obviously there's the there was the convenience store element of the job, but this as, as a first job, it's a pretty decent first job to find yourself landed in. Yeah, very privileged when you look back on it. Um, didn't count it so much at the time. But the interesting part of it was we did a lot of travel. Um, one of my best friends today is uh, I, I met him in that de- department all those years ago. We did a lot of travel. But when I looked at the ones with young children and, and teenagers in our department, they weren't traveling very much. And uh, now I know it was the pressures of time and relationship and schooling and all of that. But the real one that got me was ones that were nearly my age in their 60s they were asking for overtime. And uh, I was curious and I said, well, why do you want to work more in your 60s? And, of course, they hadn't set financial life up. They needed the money. And naively I thought, oh, if I stay here, um, I won't have any money later on. But now I know it was what they did with their money and, and other things uh, over that time. And so a friend and I, uh, the same friend that uh, still friends with today, we moved out and went into small business and had a career business which is where I met my wife and uh, then had a couple of cafes and a friend asked me into real estate in Sydney and uh, didn't know anything about it, but he said, I'll, I'll look after you. And uh, they built high-rise apartments and they converted old flat buildings into individual little units to sell off. And he said to me, we'll sell Shane's house to Chris if it comes along, but we're really helping people own two or three of these properties so that in the future they'll be secure in later age. And uh, when I thought about that, that, that's pretty simple. It was before all the seminars and things like that that are on today. So when other agents, I guess, were saying, here's the view, here's the kitchen, here's the bathroom, I was saying, hey, Shane, if you owned a few of these later on, uh, someone else's rental accommodation money will pay them off for you. You'll have some flexibility later in life. And it was such revolutionary back then that I was making very high income in Sydney, I wasn't a good steward of money. When you've got a lot, sometimes you can be <laughs> you can be a little bit uh, flamboyant with it. But uh, that was all good. And then um, the company I worked with went and managed Darling Harbour in Sydney, and we moved out, did some developing. Then a friend said, uh, "Let's get businesses." So next minute, we owned partnerships in four hotels, and my wife bought a partnership in a ballet school. And it sounds like we were business leaders, but we were just kids having a go. Anyway, all that story is to say that uh, we, uh, my wife and I moved up to a place called Stam- um, 
Salamander Bay and uh, semi-retired at 39, except that then we found out that uh, one of our managing partners of a quite large hotel complex we had uh, weren't running their money too well and the bank had taken over. And uh, some time later, everything was gone and we still had a very large debt to the bank, which fortunately we were able to negotiate a smaller amount and not go bankrupt. So I tell all that story because it got me thinking, I didn't do much wrong here. What was the missing link? And I started to ask people who had the flexibility of life that I was looking for, not a lot of money, but security. You know, what they did, how they kept it. And uh, when thinking about your work that you do, Shane, the one thing that they all had was a trusted third party who was hearing what they were doing, not telling them what to do, but were hearing what they were doing and bringing some wisdom to their decisions. And the reason we lost everything is I signed a personal guarantee to a million dollar loan for a company that I only owned 20% of. I was naive in doing that. I had particular professionals around me, but that was just a part of the journey for them. I didn't have that third party saying, Chris, are you sure you want to risk everything for this one business? And so I engaged a couple of these people to walk alongside me. And I said, just, if you think I'm going down the wrong path, just tell me. And if there's anything that you can add to what I'm doing, please tell me. And it was the best decision I ever made. And so Heather and I started to look at all areas of our life and uh, to get better at our time and things like that. And one of the guys said to me, Chris, stop running around trying to get everything back in five minutes. It's going to take you 10 years to reestablish yourself. And uh, I guess you'd be smiling now because you know what I do now is run a program called Design a Decade. And uh, I still have my real estate clients at that stage who I helped put their portfolios together. And so I went to a number of them and said, I'm going to add another element to this because I now know that financial difficulties really come from the core issues of running our time and getting relationship help. And so I thought one or two might allow me to work with them, walk alongside them, not only in their investment walk, but also their life walk and their business walk. And... uh, all 11 of the people I spoke to said, yeah, that'd be really helpful. And that was back in 2001 and that we started doing that. And today we mentor uh, home leaders, business leaders, corporate leaders, uh, both in life and investment and business in six countries around the world. And that's all been through word of mouth. It's remarkable. It's just crazy. Yeah, I couldn't have couldn't have planned it. It just happened. Yeah, <laughs> and the thing that I, I think it's it's such a a fascinating story to kind of lead into what you're doing now. And obviously, we'll we'll unpack a little bit more about what Designer Decade is all about and what it looks like. I'm curious to know what do you think it was that uh, when you put it out to people and said, "Hey, we're we're thinking about." really being that kind of trusted third party to help walk out the different aspects of life and investment with people. You went into it thinking maybe one or two people might let me kind of walk that out with them. Then you had 11, 12 people say, yeah, this is, this is perfect. What were they looking for? What were they lacking? What made them kind of leap at that opportunity? I think it unlocked um, the inner frustration of just what to do next. The one thing that's very clear now is that People who lead a family or lead a business or lead a group in corporations, they get all of the stuff coming from whoever they're leading, but rarely do they have an open and transparent relationship with people who can help them with that. And uh, I'm sure you see that in a lot of the work that you do. I think it just unlocked something that they sort of knew, but when it was put to them, 
they realized, yeah, that'd be good and work it through. And there's a lot of things that are different today, as you would well know. And having lived all through the decades that I have, um, 65 is the wrong number to plan life around today. I mean, five years at home, 20 years of study, 40 or 50 years expecting to have a, a full-time job, and then just do a few years of travel, it's 100 years old. Here in Australia in the early 1900s when the old age pension came in, the average age of a male was around about late 50s. So the pension was to look after people for a period of time, short period of time, if they live longer than normal. So that whole idea of planning around 65, like, I mean, that, that's even something that resonates with me. Like, where are we learning that? Um, because it feels like in many ways it's this unspoken um, kind of aspiration, which is my, my job is to, to work in such a way that when I can finally retire, I can live my life and, and have the life that I really want. And up until then, it's just hustle, right? Yeah. So where, where does that idea come from? Where does it get embedded into people? Why do we think like that? <laughs> it's interesting. Um, in a lot of ways, it came from my generation. And remember, we didn't have technology then. So you grew up knowing what was happening around you. So certainly East Coast of Australia, it was, you know, get a house if you can, pay the loan off, never have a loan again, work hard, do the savings, and uh, then you'll have the pension when you turn 65. It, it was just an ingrained into life. Not for everyone. Obviously, there were always entrepreneurs and business people, but in general, that was the thought. And uh, even when the, old age, when the uh, superannuation came in in the late 90s, the average age was around 72. So it was reinforced. If you save money, and we're going to actually take it off you now so you can't spend it, and to save it, you'll have money for a few years when you've retired at 65. But the world has just changed so much. And I believe we're a long way back towards before the Industrial Revolution, where you had to find a way to either earn income or contra for goods or whatever. And then the whole corporation thing came in, oh, come and work for us, we'll pay you every week. And the companies understandably, we would know, didn't treat the uh, workers very well. 12-year-olds going down chimneys and the like in Britain. But uh, then the um, trade union movement came in, which was a great thing for people, but in some ways it then treated the companies badly. And I think we're now in a bit of a mishmash between those two things. And we're back to the stage where people have got to think, what, you know, what is it that I would like to do in a more flexible and enjoyable way in my future? So, yes, we do the life uh, training as an underpinning foundation for people's life. Then we look at investment of capital ownership, things for later, and, and, and not, you know, lots and lots and lots, just the average person being able to secure themselves for the future. But, Shane, what really fires me up is helping people look at what could be a flexible and enjoyable income that I could do in my later life. Because one survey I saw recently said that, one of the most important things or the most helpful things for the age is meaningful activity in service of others. If we can do something in life that we're happy to keep doing, and I'm 70, I'm not retired, although I haven't had a job since I was 23. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to know, because there will be people who, the, I guess the, the people who typically listen to this podcast are people that are you know, people who are either interested in leadership or, or many, many of the people that I talk to are in some level of, of, of leadership. And so they're, they're hard workers. They're, mm. they're, they're future planners. They're people who are thinking about career and influence and impact. 
And so there might be sitting there here listening to kind of the podcast, hearing you talk about this, you know, 65 is the wrong number to play in your life around. And they're going, well, that's been my strategy. That's, you know, I've just been working really hard to try and do this, but now I'm, I'm kind of questioning things. What, what's some of the things that you might say, like, how do we reframe this? How do we get out of that way of thinking? And what's the way that we need to start thinking about this? Yeah, it's interesting. And not for a minute am I saying that people shouldn't work in employment, you know, to, to later life. Um, and we talk in our program about it to move out of that into self-employment of some sort. It's not really a jump. You know, we know a lot of people who have jumped out of employment into business and, and it doesn't work because they've got no training or anything in it. But I think it's really important to always be thinking ahead. And uh, our program's called Design a Decade, and that's came from that gentleman saying to me, Chris, you know, <laughs> you're going to have to take your time in this. And when they did that, I was 44. So I went home to Heather and said, look, I'm 54. I'm going to be 54. The kids are going to be 30 down to 22 or probably be grandchildren. Um, what can we do? And that was my first situation where I was going, hey, it's going to be different. What do I need to do? So I think that person in that fulfilling career, that leadership role, can still, in a swimming lane alongside that, can be thinking, hey, in 10 years' time, do I still want to be carrying this? Do I want to go to further leadership or do I want to step out? And if they do want to step out, um, as you do, there's business where you've got location, you've got staff, you've got uh, stock and things like that, but there's also what we call a practice where today um, generational wisdom is a commercial commodity and that's not to downgrade generational wisdom. You know, our, my generation and above have, have uh, got a lot to offer, but it's a very different day. We're not in the village anymore. We can't just keep them in the village and, and look after them. People are getting input from everywhere, as you, as you well know. So for that person in leadership, if they can be a great employee on the lookout, that doesn't mean they're looking to leave, but be a great employee, be a great leader, always observing with curiosity on what's going out on outside what they're doing and I was talking to an engineer recently and he was approaching 60 and he said Chris but what could I do I said well in your first five to ten years out of uni because he'd been an engineer all his life in that first five to ten years if you had a senior guy not just being your boss but someone walking alongside you and helping you understand the journey would you have accelerated your career he said oh absolutely I said well how many young Men and women are coming out into engineering and it's new ground for them. They're straight out of education. And so walking alongside them or someone external to their actual profession, like you guys do, and move in and, and walk alongside people and help them think clearly and choose wisely about their decisions, it's just the way people, I believe, need to transition their thinking. Be a great employee, be a great business leader, but always be observing with curiosity on what else they could do. The thing that I often will have conversations with people about who are moving into, say, running a practice or looking at starting their own business um, that are currently in a career, they go, well, it's something that I want to do maybe in the next 18 months to two years. And it feels like I'm trapped right now. And my immediate response to them is there is so much that you can learn, test and mm. apply in your current role, knowing that in the future, this might be something that you want to do. And mm. one of my Probably, and I wouldn't say regrets in, the, in, a, in a painful sense, but one of the things that I wish I had done more of is capture some of the ideas, learning and experience 
in the roles that I had prior to starting my own practice. Because now often what happens is people will have conversations and they maybe draw something out of you and you go, I actually didn't even realize that that was helpful. And I've been doing that my entire life. And so this, just this um, perspective of how do I look to the future with an idea that, Hey, maybe right now um, I'm in a career and maybe I don't see myself going anywhere for the next five to 10 years, but is it possible that beyond there, I might want to do something outside of this. And if I was going to do something outside of this, what might I need to be doing now mm. to lift my eyes and my perspective to outside of my current world? Is that kind of what I'm hearing in this? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a couple of things you can do in that is be observant of what other people are doing. What was the movie Will Smith, I think, was in and and he was down and out and living on platforms at railway stations and the like and he's walking along and it was a true, true story of another guy. And a guy pulls up in a Ferrari and gets out and Will Smith walks up to him and says, uh, okay, what do you do and can I do it? And went on to be a leader in the stock market industry, et cetera, et cetera. So observing other people and what they're doing um, can help. And just ask ourselves the question, you know, what do we know that other people don't? What can we do that other people can't or want to learn to do? And I think just the observation of what's going on around us uh, can really help those people under those pressures. But I'd have to say, coming back, the real key is that person to have a, you know, a trusted, and I call them the silent third party, just where you step out of the pressure and step into that other swimming lane for the analogy that that person's in and just have those conversations that can help you think clearly outside of the pressures of day to day. And that goes for family or business or or the corporate life as well. I often think back to... Um you know, people's, uh, you know, advice that have given me in the past is around like setting up your own personal board um, yep. in terms of like having people that you can go to that has some sort of life board. And the, the theme that I keep hearing in this conversation so far is this, it's almost like the pursuit of wisdom. It's actually seeking out wisdom from that, you know, that silent third party or that kind of um, person that you can go to that brings a sense of perspective to your life. Now, obviously there's been a lot of emphasis and, and talk around you know, engaging with a coach or, you know, third party in your life, does it always have to be a formalized coach that you go see or can you seek it out in other, other ways? Uh, really good question, Shane. And we do a, under our relationship module, we talk about seven levels of relationship. And uh, obviously the first one's your relationship with yourself, obviously. And um, then if you're in a relationship with a partner or marriage, et cetera, as the second one, obviously, we come together as opposites and that can get a bit scratchy if we don't understand a few things along the way. And then the third one is that trusted third party where you can be free with your conversation knowing it won't be taken somewhere else. And that's a key. The fourth one is the energy group. You know, there'll be people that come onto your phone and you see their name and you want to take the call because you just know you're going to get energy from it. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be transparent with them, but you like to associate with them because there's energy there. And then outside that, there's, I'm sure we've all got people that we see regularly that we don't get that energy from yeah. and, and people who we see occasionally we don't get energy from. And I assure you to agree at the moment, the seventh one is the crowd, yeah, the traffic, the social media, all of the things that, that are going on that can drain you. And we don't tend to understand how to separate those things. And it's a bit like the weather, if you like. I mean, 
if it's fine and sunny, it's board shorts and t-shirt. If it's just a little bit cooler, it's a bit more. And then if we get out a little further and it's a bit rainy, we might take an umbrella. And if it's windy, we might take a coat. And there's some weather we wouldn't go into. So we prepare for all of that. But I don't know that we prepare to handle different levels of relationship. So that third one, the transparency, there's two sides to it. Coming back to your question, there's mutual transparency. So the gentleman I've talked about a couple of times that I met at Qantas, we play nine holes of golf twice a week. We're not all that good, so we don't even take a scorecard. But <laughs> during, <laughs> during the game and uh, when we have a drink afterwards, we each know where our health is, where our family is, where our life's up to, etc. because it's mutual conversational transparency. We don't have to report to each other. And then there's leadership transparency where for my clients, for instance, they are transparent to me. So I or our team can help them. And some of that team are individual specific, uh, industry specific uh, experts, but we can help them. But they don't need my transparency. They don't need me dumping on them. And that's the one that you're talking about, that one that's getting the transparency from their teams. So if they don't have that third party, They've got nowhere to go. I mean, if you think about the church industry, you know, church goer, uh, a Christian, and senior pastors burning out because they're helping everybody, but they don't. If they don't get that transparency, you know, it's a real problem. Mm. I remember one of the things when I was training to be a counsellor um, that I was so blown away at the degree of supervision that was required when you were getting into counseling. Mm. And I think early on, it was about one hour for every four hours of contact time with a, with a client. And I, I remember thinking that's excessive. That's so mm. much, but realizing just when you're in those environments where people are opening up, being transparent, and to be honest, at times just dumping on you, um, it's really hard to not take that on without having some kind of other external outlet in order mm. to be able to share that with people. So yeah, I can, I can definitely see that just that um, progression from self right out to the crowd, just that, that, that link between having that, um, that silent third party, mm. that wisdom space that you can step into to go, Hey, how do I, how do I navigate this cons, this challenge in life? How do I navigate this issue in business? Yeah. That that's a really important person to have in your life. Mm. And uh, one of the things that, uh, or our mission statement is to seek out um, knowledge, understanding and wisdom to allow people um, flexibility in their life, etc. And a lot of people read a book or they go to a, a seminar or, or the like, which is great, and they get knowledge. And then and they'll have some understanding from that. And there might even be a follow-up meeting and they get more understanding. But the real key is the ongoing wise application of that knowledge. And I'm sure when you're working with the leaders you work with, if it's an ongoing thing, it unpacks it and they actually get to apply the knowledge and understanding in real time and that's where the real benefit comes from. And uh, we've had people on our program for up to 20 years and I had someone tell me once, what, are they dumb or something? You've given them all the information. And when I explained what we just talked about, they said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> the ongoing practice and application mm. of it. Again, like anything, um, one of the things as a trainer I often see is is the the thing that I I enjoy most is when I'm embedded into an organization because we get to share concepts and teach concepts, but we get to practice the concepts and come back and talk about what worked and what didn't work and how we could change it and, and 
almost the content evolves and grows with the people as they practice it and embed it. I think the thing that I'm reflecting on this conversation is obviously this, it's so valuable to have somebody in your life as that trusted or silent third party that can help speak wisdom into, into certain contexts and situations. How do you define and how do you determine whether or not that silent third bird, the third party is the voice of wisdom? Like, how do you just like decide, is this actually a voice that I need to be listening to or not? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Going back to those seven levels of relationship, um, we talk about, and we, we do it in seven columns uh, in one of our uh, models of it, and we talk about move people slowly from the crowd to transparency. You know, a lot of people are very social and they have a best friend forever after one meeting um, or someone has a label, if you like, I'm a this coach or whatever, and they engage them on on the label and the, and the like. So it's a bit the same as when we talk about in our program how to get trusted professionals in specifics. So in some of the things we do, people need someone to help them with their estate planning or their superannuation or the property purchase, et cetera. So there's, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly everywhere. Mm. The, the good have your best interests at heart and have got the skills. The ugly, unfortunately, they're in the world. They've got the skills but for their self-interest. And a real danger is what we call the bad where they're a trusted friend, they're a trusted person, you'd leave the, your children with them, so you assume they have the skills. And we have one gentleman who's part of our program and has become a mentor of ours. He came to me when he was 57, worked really hard in the leadership in his field all his life, and unfortunately um, lost his long-term wife to, to illness. And after that, a trusted friend said, I'll look after you financially. They took a $360,000 mortgage against the house he'd paid off and unfortunately ended up in a Ponzi scheme and uh, had to sell the house shortly after he lost his wife, had to sell the house that he brought his kids up in. So wow. the, and he still has that person, still as a friend, you know, a little bit more distant these days because yeah. he's realised the friend's intention was good but his delivery was a problem. And so whether it's finding that trusted third party or an individual specific, third party recommendation is obviously the key. And uh, that comes from word of mouth, et cetera. Yes, we should market ourselves so people get to know what we do. But the, if anyone's looking for, you know, who are the people that have been working with someone you know for a period of time? That's such a helpful insight, Chris. Just I think one of the things that I'm consistently aware of is that we – we want to give the benefit of the doubt to people who have that open, transparent and trusted relationship. And we can overlook the lack of skill set that um, because we, we counter you balance that with the high level of transparency and trust. And it's actually okay to, to have an expectation that the advice that we receive from people in some areas specific to um, the area that we're wanting to develop, that they do have a, a strong skill set in that space that doesn't discount them as a trusted space, right? Mm -hmm. they, they can still be trusted and they can still be transparent, but perhaps just not in the area that we're looking for them where mm. they don't have the skills. Is that kind of what I would... Yeah. And the third party comes into it again. So in our, our role is more like um, in elite sport, uh, a young sports person coming through, they just want to play the game and enjoy the game and do well at it. 
and if it's professional, they make a lot of money. Um, and they have someone to train them in the game and keep them fit and managers look after their money, etc. But they always have a head coach to coordinate that plan and just check that what they're being told by somebody fits with the plan. Because you can be told something that's true, but it might not fit with the plan. And so we sort of act as that um, third-party head coach type thing. So when someone goes to someone for whatever the expertise is, before they make decisions, they come back and chat with that. And we might then check it with another person in that industry to see if what they're saying seems to fit with the person's plan. And we have a mantra, if you get enough conversation, you'll end up with enough information and decisions usually make themselves. Can you say that again? I love that. If you, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a really helpful takeaway from this. If you get enough conversation with the right people, you'll get enough information and decisions will make themselves. Yeah, I, I, was, I was having a conversation um, just a couple of days ago in the recording for this next season with Holly Ransom. And one of the things, she's written a book called The Leading Edge. And in there, she says, do the work required to have an opinion. And her whole thing was essentially go out and actually seek out information and, and understanding so that you can hold an opinion and, and very much kind of aligns with that. Um, have the conversations required to, to determine, do you have the information in order to be able to make the right decisions? Mm-hmm. Um I'm looking back at this conversation, kind of piecing it all together, and I'm hearing that, you know, most people and, you know, myself, I say included in that, typically look at life as, you know, how do I hustle hard, work hard so that I can live the life that I want Mm. to live at 65, which what I'm hearing is an outdated way of looking at things. And what you're you're saying is actually it needs to be an ongoing conversation about what life looks like now and for the future with a trusted um, and transparent third party that can mm. actually bring some wisdom to our decisions on a daily basis with a long-term outlook. Is that is that kind of what I'm hearing yeah. in this? Yeah, absolutely. And even just a few minutes ago, I checked myself because you've got me in my passion spot. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things we talk about is, you know, when you're having those conversations, be half pace, half volume, you know, caring in, the, in your tone and manner. And under frustration, whether you're a leader – um, of a business or, or corporate or whether it's a husband and wife, under the pressures you can tend to be short and sharp with the way you speak or the way you converse and it just doesn't allow soft communication. And uh, I'm work, working with a lady uh, on her practice, she's in her 60s and and when I turned 70 she, she sent a, a, some kind words and one of the things she said was, uh, and what I like about Chris, he can kick you so softly. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a compliment is that a compliment i think so <laughs> yeah once we looked at that um you know 10 year period then we realized you know there's this resources for life uh, uh time our relationships and our money and the first thing is to to get good at those three things and, and we need help with that and then we do planning and learning which is the preparation for the future um, then we do energy and lifestyle, which gives us our energy and freshness for the for the future. And then we go to the the wealth creation side, you know, having a capital things that we own for later on. So as we age, to hashtag a healthy hundred plus. Um, so I'm not seventy; I'm seventy percent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, and then you know, looking to move to those flexible and enjoyable incomes for the future. And the last topic we do is on speculation. You know, what are the risks 
um, you know, what, what could you, what holes could you fall in if you haven't got those people around you? So, yeah, um, you know, the summary you've made is pretty much it. You know, we've got to get on with life and we've only got 24 hours in a day. But if we can get those uh, inputs into our life, it, it really helps. Yeah, and I know so many people who I know personally who speak so highly of the Designer Decade program. And I'll put information in the show notes for people who are interested in learning a little bit more about Designer Decade and, and understanding a bit more about your work. I think one of the things I love to do at the end of the podcast is really to give people a chance to, to reflect on what their most accessible next step could be. So someone's maybe listening to this, they're going, oh my gosh, I'm, I've been thinking, you know, planning my life around 65. I need to be a bit more conscious and intentional around seeking out wisdom, seeking out people who can be that transparent or that silent third party, but it's just lots to do right now. What do you mm. think is the most easy and accessible next step that a person could do from here? Yeah, in, just in regard to obviously people are going to listen to this, they'll, they'll hear who we are. Um, just want to reassure anyone that um, no one can be signed up to what we do, so no one can grab their son by the, by the ear and say, hey, go and get this done. So uh, if anyone is in contact, um, the process is we have a, a first coffee, um, whether that's um, Zoom or, or together, and you can't even engage our services out of that. It's purely an information one. And uh, if after that both of us consider it's worth talking again, there's a second catch-up to um, to see if there's anything specific that we do that would help and then look at the different levels of things we do. But the one thing, if you come back to time being our first um, topic, give yourself time. If you're an individual um, with a trusted friend or just in some quiet time, regularly have slithers of time that you just stop and go, okay, um, Shane, may I ask how old you are? Yeah, 34. So we stop and you go, well, I'm going to be 44. Chris will be 80 what I want it to look like. And when I said that to Heather, she was back working full time because we were in deep financial trouble. And it was simple. She said, well, if we're going to have grandchildren by then, I want to be at least part time. I was back in Sydney, heavily involved in real estate again, seven days a week, only seeing the family once a month. And so I wanted to be back in that flexible lifestyle again, still working, but more flexible. So taking those slithers of time for all those areas of life around the busyness because we can't get as much time for those things as earning our income, but slithers of time to um, just think, okay, and not I want to own this, I want to own that. It's just what I want to look like. Such a helpful reflection question. And again, you know, it's helpful for people who, you know, I have conversations with people who are going, I don't know what I want to do with my career. And even just to ask them that question to say, okay, well, what do you want to be, what do you want life to look like in 10 years? And they might say, well, to be honest, I want to work nine to five mm. and I want to go home and I want to switch off. In which case you can pretty much say, well, well, that doesn't look like a leadership role because yeah. really in many ways, leadership is just something that's continually thinking about, or maybe it's not running your own business. Do you know what I mean? Cause you, it's really hard to, yeah. to turn off from that. So when you start asking and reflecting on these questions, it really does give you a picture of and help make some of those decisions for you of what, what needs to happen in order to get there. Yeah. And a big one around time for me is we talk about the four isolations um, I, and whether it's you're in business for yourself or you're carrying a corporate job home. Um, the first one is, you know, isolate the geography. Where in the house is, is it going to be where you do your work? If you've got to do some work for tomorrow in your corporation, where in the house do you do that? 
and uh, when I was in real estate, I went, <laughs> went into a house once and and uh, to to value it, and the husband was pulling down a engine a car engine on the kitchen bench. <laughs> no, it's probably not right, but um, <laughs> so isolate isolate the area. So Heather and I, where we live, there's areas where we because we work from home, obviously, where we took do business, um, but not say, out on our front porch here, looking out at the kangaroos, et cetera, that's not a time for business. Um, isolate the conversation. You know, when is it okay to be reflecting on the day or et cetera? And uh, we had one couple who, they've been with me 20 years and just doing great. Um, but early in the piece, so coming home from a date night on a Friday night and without thinking, the guy said, did you pay the tax this morning? And instead of leaving it, she said no. And instead of leaving that, he said, why not? And that was the end of the date night, the weekend, and then the next week. So isolate the conversation, uh, isolate the geography, isolate the finances, and isolate the time that you would actually be going. And some people have got to come home and do another couple of hours at night. But if you isolate that rather than just have it all the time, it, it really helps. Chris, there are so many things that have been really helpful, practical insights to take out of this conversation. It's just, I know it's going to be super helpful for people when, I, when we're listening to it. And I know they're going to reach, want to reach out and connect with you. So I'll put all the details of how people can do that into the show notes. And um, yeah, hopefully um, people ha can really take something away and reflect on this so that people can, can actually live life more by design rather than just ultimately falling or drifting through life. And it's been really helpful. So thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, Shane, it's been my pleasure. Really appreciate it. And uh, I know I spat a lot of words out, but hopefully it's helpful. Absolutely it was. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure, mate. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.